Hello everyone, Matthew here from Medics Money Triage, and this is a slightly strange one, because this podcast originally aired on our brand new podcast, What Medical School Doesn't Teach Us, and it's about more than just money. In this week's episode of What Medical School Doesn't Teach Us, we hear from a doctor and a nurse who made their dream of travelling the world for a year a reality. They tell us how they funded the trip, how they used tax tips from Medics Money, and how it affected their training. If you like this episode, then don't forget to subscribe to What Medical School Doesn't Teach Us, and follow us on Instagram at WMSDTU. What Medical School Doesn't Teach Us and the Medics Money Podcast both appear on the Medics Podcast Network for healthcare podcasts promoting financial tips, well-being, and career advice. If you want to learn more, head on over to medicspodcastnetwork.co.uk and you can get in touch at podcastnetwork at medicsmoney.co.uk. That's podcastnetwork at medicsmoney.co.uk. Enjoy the episode. We've gone through the pandemic. My wife has been a nurse for 10 years, working non-stop. The main thing was our sort of well-being, mental health. We were quite exhausted, sort of physically, emotionally, and mentally. And it was the point where we couldn't see each other for weeks on end because we had different shifts, her being a nurse, me being a surgeon, on calls, and obviously not spending time with our dog either. And that was sort of really heartbreaking. And we sort of just sort of had a chat and said, well, you know, what are we doing? You're listening to What Medical School Doesn't Teach Us, where we tackle pro-financial tips for medical students and foundation year doctors, career ideas, and how to leverage your skills and time more effectively. Join us, and remember the golden rule, this podcast is for general information only, and does not constitute any form of advice. Hello, and welcome back to What Medical School Didn't Teach Us, our podcast by the Medics Money Network. My name is Syra. I'm your host. I am a chartered accountant and a doctor, currently on my F3, and I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Kai. Kai was actually one of my urology registrars when I was working in Aylesbury, and then, you know, out of nowhere, I saw his Instagram, which is nomadic underscore medics double zero, nomadic medics, and turns out Kai has decided to take a year out and go on a career break so he's living all of our dreams and so I was desperate to get Kai on the podcast so Kai I mean I've already introduced you a little bit but would you mind introducing yourself? No worries so my name's Kai I'm a urology registrar in Oxford currently in ST6 and my wife who's a nurse we got married last year in Spain she's Spanish and we decided to take a career break for a year from the NHS so I as a doctor in training took a year out and my wife, who is a nurse, is also taking a year out as well with our dog, Kevin, who's a Pomsky. And yes, we're traveling around the world at the moment. We're traveling around Europe and we're just stopping off in Spain at the moment. So have a bit of time for Cyrus podcast. What a way to have a honeymoon. Congratulations on <laughs> the wedding. I still haven't had a bloody honeymoon because we can't get our leave lined up. <laughs> and enough yeah. of it because with foundation, yeah. you're only allowed to take seven no nine days of annual leave every four months so it's all split across our blocks so we haven't actually even done that yet so do you know what this is what I want now I just wanted two measly (laughs) weeks in the Maldives but now that it's changed and there's there's this on my list why did you decide to take a career break so there were quite a few reasons why we decided to take a career break mainly the reason was we've been working a lot we've gone through the pandemic my wife has been a nurse for 10 years working non-stop the main thing was our sort of well-being, mental health. We were quite exhausted, sort of physically, emotionally and mentally. And it was the point where we couldn't see each other for weeks on end because we had different shifts, her being a nurse, me being a surgeon, on calls and obviously not spending time with our dog either. And that was sort of really heartbreaking. And we sort of just sort of had a chat and said, well, you know, what are we doing? 
you know, we love our job. We, you know, hands down would love to do it every day. But at the end of the day, you also have to look after yourselves. And I think for us, it was a decision that was not easily made. But I think we came to the, the same conclusion that we needed some time off for ourselves to follow the dreams that we wanted to follow, go traveling, see different places and basically spend time with each other and the dog. That was the main reason why we took the career break. And when you first started thinking about it, was was it one of those where you felt like this is going to be really hard to sort out? As in, you're having to take a break out of training. I don't know how easy it is for your wife to to take that break. So how did you go about figuring out what needed to be done? So honestly, we had no clue whatsoever when we first decided. There was little to no information about it on the internet. I didn't know anyone else that had taken a career break. Neither had my wife. So it was very difficult at first. And I think that was the reason why we decided to spread the information so more people are aware of it. And the main sort of sources that we use, obviously, the GMC, um, Health Education England, also had some information. And actually, in Oxford, they were running some seminars, like online seminars about going out of program. It was like once in a while, like once a year or so. So I managed to get onto one of those and saw some stories from other people as well that had managed to do other things other than a career break. And there are other different types of outdoor program that you can do. But I found the information from there and then just sort of waded my way through it and tried to give myself as much time as possible in order to to sort of secure the, the things that I needed to secure, like the forms and everything and the signatures. There's a lot of signatures. <laughs> when you approached your, I'm guessing you probably have a training program director like we do. Were they supportive? Were they sceptical? Yeah, so I think, well, I think my first first impression was my training program director wasn't entirely sure because he never had anyone take a career break, which is very reasonable since not a lot of people know about it. And the first person I spoke to was my educational supervisor, which should be your first point of call anyway. I was quite nervous when I went to go talk to them because there's sort of a attitude in obviously surgery, you know, you should be taking time out, you should be training all the time, sort of perfecting your skill, which I completely you know, agree with. And I was a bit dubious about, you know, how they would react. But as soon as I sort of mentioned it, they were like, oh my goodness, definitely do it. If you can get the chance, just go. Like, I wish I'd done that. Like I managed to do one gap year and it was the best thing I'd ever done. So I was really happy and he was very supportive. And with that, I then went to the program director and they said, that's fine. That sounds very reasonable. And, oh, I'm really um, pleased to hear that. So that was that. good. So we were very, well, I was very yeah. lucky. <laughs> yeah, very positive response and sort of very encouraging, yeah. isn't it? It was yeah. very, yeah. My educational supervisor buggered off to Bermuda. Not a joke. Ah. So Matt, if you're <laughs> listening, thanks for leaving me. I miss you. But <laughs> definitely, it's one of those things where I think it's becoming more and more accepted that it enriches you in lots of different ways like your cultural awareness just generally your well-being the fact that you've experienced other things and are you using your this time to travel to actually do anything work related or surgery related or is it purely just travel so at the moment it's purely just travel I did try and organize a sort of a partly out of program experience in Spain surgeon I know, right? Always trying to do more. And I decided that it was just way too much paperwork to try and do something in Spain. So unfortunately, that fell through. But the idea was there. I think fortunately, it fell through because you deserve Mm. a break and you deserve to enjoy 
you know you're traveling yeah. that time well that was one of the other things as well i did have some other sort of colleagues who were like oh so you're going to be doing something surgical you're going to be something clinical during your time out like don't just travel was it an assumption but, that you would yeah i think it was more some, some people thought it was an assumption or some people assumed that was going to be the case but at the end of the day that's not the reason for the career but the career was to basically take a step back from medicine all the clinical work the stress and everything and sort of take some time to reflect and do things that we wanted to do so it was that sort of attitude that we i had to sort of quash quite quickly it's like no it's not for anything clinical it's time for us and spend time with my wife you know and our families and things like that so that was a bit scary of a conversation but i think they got it in the end in terms of saving up for this what did you go about doing so i guess if i were to start the whole process again i would probably give myself a little bit more time i mean even though i planned it a year in advance my wife not so long but we won't go into that. <laughs> uh, so I planned it a bit more in advance. And, um, you mean she, she knew, right, though, that she that knew was going to happen? Yeah, she knew it. It was like, yeah, we'll talk about it, blah, 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 you know, in terms of getting her paperwork done. She sort of didn't leave it to the last minute, but uh, you know, it was something that was sort of dragging on about, you know, you, you really need to get these forms signed and you need to get these sort of things in place. So in terms of money-wise, I guess savings accounts always the big thing, which try to... Put as much into your ISA accounts, sort of tax-free interest is always uh, a welcome bonus. I and my wife have different bank accounts and different providers. A lot of them do things like regular savers, which you put like 200 or £250 a month in, and the interest rate's a bit better. You can take it out if you do need to. Obviously, you lose the interest, but once a month, £200, £250, but you can spread that between multiple accounts, which is obviously a good idea. Obviously, you've got online savers as well, which we used. If there was, That was more for once we got rid of all of the savings stuff into the savings accounts, then we would use the other best sort of interest rate that we could find, which is a good idea. Locums, extra clinics, things like that. Try and do as much as you can, obviously, without sort of burning out too much. I know people should do this anyway, obviously, you know, being a junior doctor and everything, but you should exception reports if you are having to work extra hours anyway because they either get time back in lieu in order to sort out paperwork which is great or you get paid for your extra hours in some trusts so it's definitely something that you should be doing anyway and I think it's encouraged in most places that you should exceptional report so that's definitely important. Tax as well as claiming tax back on subscriptions make sure you get as much money as you can which you should be owed anyway it's just all about saving as much as you can really so your BMA subscriptions of GMC membership and stuff you will be getting you will be claiming all that kind of tax back which is due you, to you anyway what are you doing with the GMC and the BMA subscriptions and all of those how is that working whilst you're away yeah so if you're not doing anything clinical it's very important that you talk to these governing bodies so the GMC Royal Colleges let them know that you're on a career break that you're not doing anything clinical because they'll either pause your fees for the year while you're away or reduce them significantly so it's definitely worth talking to them even things like like iscp which we use as surgeons for recording our sort of uh, competencies and things they paused mine for a year so they don't delete it you definitely don't get that deleted you'll need to come back to it after a year when you come back so yeah 
And does this have any implications for things like ARCP or revalidation? So in terms of ARCP, no. Or revalidation for doctors, not so much. For nurses, you need to be careful, making sure you have your making sure you that you have your numbers in terms of number of hours, so you keep your pin. That was one thing that my wife had to be sure about and to calculate before we started the career break. For doctors in training, ARCP outcomes, technically speaking, you don't have to pass your last ARCP to go on the career break because obviously people have career breaks for multiple different reasons. Sometimes it's health reasons, sometimes it's caring reasons, so they just have to go on the career break. But it does obviously affect, you know, when you come back, what stage you'll be at. So I just finished my SD5, I passed my ARCP, so when I come back, I'll be the SD6. So that's how that works. And there's not going to be any sort of implications in terms of that year's gap that you had. It's kind of, it's an, it's an approved out of programme. Correct, yeah. So in, because it's all signed off by your postgraduate dean, your, your training programme director, your education supervisor, clinical supervisor, it's all sort of sanctioned, if that makes sense. It just doesn't count towards your CCT. So it just means that you put your training on sort of like a pause for a year and then you just resume where you left off when you come back. Although it is important that when you come back after a year, which is something I'm going to be doing, that you do like some sort of return to training, sort of probational periods, because you might be a little bit rusty. So how are you um, managing your costs whilst you're travelling? Ah, it's a good question. (laughs) So the dog takes up most of the expenses. (laughs) Well, I know you could, well, we just like giving treats, that's all. But uh, so we have some ways of making money during the career break. So we have a house with a mortgage. Obviously, we're traveling for a year, so we're not using it. So we decided to rent it out. We had the two choices of either renting it with an agency for a year's contract, which is sort of a stable income per month. Or we could decide to do like Airbnb and pay a company to run it for us. But we decided... Even though Airbnb probably would give us more money, it's a bit more sporadic. So we wanted the security of monthly income. So we went with an estate agent. So we rented the house out for the year. A bit more on that in terms of tax-wise, obviously income tax, because you're getting paid. Rental income is we are not in the UK for more than six months because we're traveling. You can also apply to the HMRC for non-resident landlords sort of tax freedom, I guess is what you would call it. So they give you the money without the tax deducted. So you have the whole lump sum and then you can do your taxes yourself with a self-assessment form for the tax year, which is super useful. So you have exactly what you need. You have more money in your bank account, which you can use to plan some budgets and things like that. And then obviously you claim your tax back for different things like landlord insurance and things like that. So you need to be keeping a record of everything. So for traveling wise, because we wanted to take our dog Kevin with us it was a bit more difficult in terms of how we're going to transport him around we wanted to do Europe first and flying in Europe is very difficult with a dog we could have gone in a car we could have done that but um, it's a bit cramped so we decided uh, to look at motorhomes or camper vans and we decided in the end between renting one or buying one and In the end, we decided to buy one. So we bought a motorhome and we managed to use that. So we don't pay for, we don't pay much at least for staying in places in different cities, in different countries. Our main cost really is fuel. And it's obviously 
different prices in different countries. So it's a bit of an art to the motorhome life, but we've adjusted it to it gradually. The first month was very difficult, a bit hard. But since then, I think we're slowly getting the knack of it, which is good. How the hell are you driving like in all these in different countries? I drove in Spain for one day and kept looking in the wrong direction at the roundabouts. Yeah, so obviously, <laughs> luckily that my wife is Spanish, so she drives on the other oh, side of the road. Um, so she could she took the slack for the first bit while I kind of got up to speed with driving on the, the other side of the road. But yeah, I mean, we've done about close to 18,000 kilometers so far and we've gone to uh, nine or ten countries so far with Kevin as well so there's been a lot of driving. I'm so glad you can do that with Kevin because it's really special he's the family he's part of the family and exactly yeah he's definitely yeah and we because we were realizing that you know when Anna was at work or when I was at work the dog was either at home and we have our sort of our dog sitter that would come or dog walker that would come and we just wasn't spending as much time as we wanted to with him. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, our fluffy friends, they have like shorter lives than we do. So you know, we wanted to make the most of it with him. So, I mean, one year for us is what, about four or five dog years, isn't it? So he's like on a career break for five years, which is great. So good for him. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> No, I, I completely agree. And then my, so I've got two and one of them is eight. And I just keep thinking, you know, she's at the, she's on halfway at the top end of her lifespan. And I yeah. just, I'm not even ready. To me, she's still a puppy. And exactly. I just, I need to spend every moment that I can because, yeah. you know, their, their lifespan's just, they're so short, but they mean so mm. much. So you said 10 countries already in, in Europe. Yeah. Um, How's the route looking? Where How are you planning to go all around uh, the world? So what we've done so far is, first of all, trying to take Kevin out of the UK to Europe was quite tricky. We wanted to go to Norway first. Norway has slightly different rules for taking pets to compare to the rest of Europe. You need to be sort of in the country within five days of him having the vaccination for rabies and worming treatment coordination um, it's a lot of coordination so we and obviously in a motorhome as well so we had to basically hightail it in the motorhome for five days to get to norway just so that he could <laughs> be in norway. Level of stress. <laughs> it was ridiculously stressful and obviously luckily for us our vets had done a previous animal health certificate for him because they don't do pet passports anymore in the uk unfortunately so even though Kevin is technically Irish and he does have a pet passport. They're not recognised really in the UK. So he had to have an animal health certificate, which you normally have to pay for. And it has to be done within sort of two weeks of when you're going to leave the UK. I guess one important thing is wherever you enter the EU, that's the language that the health certificate has to be in. So we entered EU from the UK. We took the sort of the Eurotunnel. And we arrived in France. So when we went to get the animal health certificate, he needed a French uh, English one. So that's very important for you to, to know about. We got his animal health certificate, we got him vaccinated, and we basically hightailed it through Europe in the motorhome to Norway. And then from Norway, we sort of worked our way down back towards Spain, really. So, you know, we went France, Germany, Austria, Slovenia. So- once you're in the EU, 
Mm. Moving from country to country with Kevin, you don't need additional. No, correct. Yeah, so you don't need yeah. any additional paperwork. He's already in the EU. I mean, you carry it with you just in case anyone asks. I mean, but usually they only ask at borders because the EU is now sort of freedom of movement. There are sort of no borders between the EU countries, really. So no one really stops you to ask for his paperwork. But they, legally, they can they can ask for it. But it was fine. I guess the only question is what we do when we go back. So he'll need some sort of his revaccinations and things. But that's a whole other story. So are you planning to sort of go into Asia from Europe? Yes. Additional... Yeah, so we wanted to take him to Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Hong Kong. But again, the, pro- the problem with taking him that far is the quarantines. So we had to decide what we we're going to do. We were thinking about taking the train. So you could train it technically to like all the way to Vietnam from Europe. Um, we were very seriously considering doing that with him, but it was going to take way too long to do that and be quite stressful for him, I think. So, I mean, he has a whole family. My, he has Anna's whole family here in Spain. So he's going to stay here while we go to Australia, New Zealand and Japan for that bit. And then we come back and then jump back into the motorhome. You know, we carry on with the motorhome with him. Sounds like a solid plan. And we were saying just before the call, UAE, United Arab Emirates, if you fly with Etihad, you can take them on the cabin with you. And you don't have to quarantine them. (laughs) So take him on a beautiful Dubai holiday. Yeah, I think now that you've given me that information, I definitely think that should be on the list. Did you have to give any notice periods when you were doing all this? Yes, I mean, the official notice period is three months as a minimum. Some trusts wish that you can, some trusts want you to give at least six months but the more notice that you give, the better, really. I gave them a year's notice. My wife gave them sort of six to eight months notice just so that they could factor in any sort of staffing issues if, if required. So, yeah, so the minimum is three months. And there was something we were talking about before recording, which is a lot of international medical graduates have been reaching out to you about how to do this when they're on a tier two visa and you had a little message for them. Yeah, I did. So... <laughs> So on my Instagram, there's been a lot of messages from people on tier two visas about can they take a career break and what does this entail and how does this affect their sponsorship and how does this affect their indefinite leave to remain? Personally, I'm not an international graduate, but because there's been so much chatter about it, I have reached out to NHS sort of sponsorship and asked them a few questions. What I found out so far, I haven't got all the replies back yet, but what I found out so far in terms of IMGs is that, yes, you can take a career break. It may affect your your definitely to remain because you can't be out of the, I think it's something like you can't be out of the country for more than 180 days, which is about six months. So you could technically take a career break for six months. Your sponsorship would stop for those six months, you'd leave the UK, you'd go traveling, I guess, or do go back to your home country or whatever you wanted to do. And then when you return, your sponsorship resumes. So the questions I've asked the sponsorship program is, you know, is this a guarantee? Is there any other sort of applications that need to be done? Does the process all start all over again? You know, how does this really affect IMGs? So I'm waiting for that response. And once I get it, I'll post it on my Instagram and my YouTube channel. 
Instagram being nomadic underscore medics double zero to find Kai. Brilliant. Anything else that you think is really important for us to know on taking career breaks? So I guess the other thing that I wanted just to mention, which I, which I completely forgot about, was in terms of the money thing. Also, if you have a car and you're going traveling for a year and you're not going to need it, then decide whether or not, you know, you can probably sell it, which is, you know, can be quite a lot of money. The other things as well is trying to save money in terms of daily expenses. Now, I know that I remember seeing a post from Medics Money about people spending money on lunches and it coming to a ridiculous amount of money, like £2,400 a month or something like that. So that's those are all sort of costs that you can reduce prior to your... So um, do you cook in your motorhome and... Um, I do, yes. I do most yeah, of the cooking. Obviously. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I do most of the cooking, yeah. And it's quite good. It's quite economical. You know, we use gas or we use the electricity from the solar panels. So we try to be a bit greener if we can, save the planet and all. Um, that is awesome. If you're married, especially if you're renting out your house or you're getting income, rental income, is your marriage allowance. So since both my wife and I are not working, then she has technically less income than I do because I'm receiving the rental income. So she can give me part of her tax-free allowance. So that saves a bit of money as well. So that's something to think about. And then the other point I want to make, this is irrelevant to, to Kai's situation, but this is something that's come up, which is if you're taking a career break like this and you're not going to be employed by the trust directly in a training program, so even if you decide to take a career break, do ad hoc locums with their bank. It means that your continuous 12-month service with the NHS is broken so if you then go on to have a child and need to have take parental leave you won't be able to take NHS parental leave you'll end up on statutory parental pay so this is just something I wanted to highlight which is you know if you had a really fabulous year and there was tiny kai's on the way <laughs> then it would affect whether you were able to take parental leave because you've taken time out of training and so you're no longer employed by the NHS trust during that mm -hmm. time. So that that is something to consider because we've had someone contact us saying that they got sort of shafted that way and they didn't actually wow. know it would affect them that way. So That's I just wanted to raise that on their behalf. Good. I guess on top of that, actually, I wasn't going to mention this until maybe later on, but if you do continue on the bank or the on the, as a locum, or honorary contracts like I have, although I'm not doing any clinical work, it gives you the option to stay on the payroll. And because you stay on the payroll, you're able to make voluntary contributions to your NHS pension. So if you're out for a year and you don't pay into your pension, obviously you, you lose that year. But if you stay on the payroll, even though you're not doing any work technically, then you can pay into your pension. Kai, you utter genius. So say you're doing this in foundation, you can technically take the hit. It's not too bad when you're that early on in your career, but an ST5, ST6 level, it is going to hit you pretty hard. It'll hit your pension pretty hard. So I completely yeah. <laughs> agree with that approach. And yeah. well done, you. Yeah. I guess the other option, I guess the other, the, other, the other option about the pension though, so my wife, for example, decided that she didn't want to pay into her pension voluntarily and she actually wanted the money for this year. So, you know, as needs be, she decided that she was going to withdraw her pension. So she withdrew her pension, which is, you know, perfectly fine. She wants to do that. And so that's just another option that you have if you need the extra money for the year out. Then that's also fine. 
which also shows that even in the same couple, people will make very different decisions and there's no right and there's no wrong. There's just what's personal choice and what's appropriate for the individual. So, you know, I think both approaches are perfectly reasonable and both approaches just reflect your personal approach to how you fight you know to your finances and mm. they're not wrong or right they're just what's personal to you and I really like that I agree That's great. <laughs> I just had one quick question did you have yeah. to get a storage locker when you rented out <laughs> your house so this was something that we thought about it depends it sort of depended on how much of the house we rented out because ours have a garage so our decision was well we could either rent out just the house and keep the garage for ourselves and then we didn't have to we shove everything in the garage and that's fine. Or we asked the tenant to pay a bit extra per month to offset the cost of a storage locker. Storage lockers are quite expensive. I actually ended up spending three months with my friend Javi converting our garage loft. So I converted the entire loft and we shoved everything that we owned up in the loft and then locked it. And then they... The tenants now have the house and the garage, but they just don't have access to the loft where all of that stuff is, basically. So it is a triple win, basically. No storage locker costs. You still get the, you know, marketability because they've got a garage that they can have. And yes, everybody, I say garage and everybody makes fun of me. (laughs) Please put any messages about how I say garage wrong. I already get it at home. So fabulous. That's been so fascinating. And you've actually really inspired me as well, because as much as I talk about sort of finance and savings and things, I do have a very Mm. risk averse approach to things. And Mm. I don't think I'd be brave enough to think a career break for a whole year like that would be Mm. a realistic prospect. I'd just be so worried about all the different factors, but you've broken it down in such a beautiful way that it makes it really it really make, makes it really possible and so thank you so much for doing that that's it's I'm inspired me and i think it will inspire loads of people i'm glad brilliant thank you so much for coming on the show you're more than welcome thanks for having me <laughs>